This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Swiss Family Robinson by Johann David Wyss. Chapter 9 The next morning, after prayers, I assembled my family. We took a solemn leave of our first place of refuge. I cautioned my sons to be prudent, and on their guard, and especially to remain together during our journey. We then prepared for departure. We assembled the cattle, the bags were fixed across the backs of the cow and the ass, and loaded with all our heavy baggage, our cooking utensils, and provisions consisting of biscuits, butter, cheese, and portable soup, our hammocks and blankets the captain's service of plate, were all carefully packed in the bags, equally poised on each side of the animals. All was ready, when my wife came in haste with her inexhaustible bag, requesting a place for it. Neither would she consent to leave the poultry as food for the jackals. Above all, Francis must have a place he could not possibly walk all the way. I was amused with the exactions of the sex, but consented to all and made a good place for Francis between the bags on the back of the ass. The elder boys returned in despair. They could not succeed in catching the fowls. But the experienced mother laughed at them, and said she would soon capture them. "'If you do,' said my pert little Jack, "'I will be contented to be roasted in the place of the first chicken taken.' "'Then, my poor Jack,' said his mother, "'you'll soon be on the spit.' Remember that intellect has always more power than mere bodily exertion. Look here. She scattered a few handfuls of grain before the tent, calling the fowls. They soon all assembled, including the pigeons, then throwing down more inside the tent, they followed her. It was now only necessary to close the entrance, and they were all soon taken, tied by the wings and feet, and being placed in baskets covered with nets were added to the rest of our luggage on the backs of the animals. Finally, we conveyed inside the tent all we could not carry away, closing the entrance and barricading it with chests and casks, thus confiding all our possessions to the care of God. We set out on our pilgrimage, each carrying a game-bag and a gun. My wife and her eldest son led the way, followed by the heavily laden cow and ass. The third division consisted of the goats driven by Jack, the little monkey seated on the back of its nurse, and grimacing to our great amusement. Next came Ernest with the sheep, and I followed, superintending the whole. Our gallant dogs acted as aides-de-camp, and were continually passing from the front to the rear rank. Our march was slow, but orderly, and quite patriarchal. We are now travelling across the deserts as our first fathers did, said I, and as the Arabs, Tartars, and other nomad nations do to this day, followed by their flocks and herds. But these people generally have strong camels to bear their burdens, instead of a poor ass and cow. I hope this may be the last of our pilgrimages. My wife also hoped that, once under the shade of her marvellous trees, we should have no temptation to travel further. We now crossed our new bridge, and here the party was happily augmented by a new arrival. The sow had proved very mutinous at setting out, and we had been compelled to leave her. She now voluntarily joined us, seeing we were actually departing. 
but continued to grunt loudly her disapprobation of our proceedings. After we had crossed the river, we had another embarrassment. The rich grass tempted our animals to stray off to feed, and, but for our dogs, we should never have been able to master them again. But for fear of further accident, I commanded my advance guard to take the road by the coast, which offered no temptation to our troops. We had scarcely left the high grass when our dogs rushed back into it, barking furiously, and howling as if in combat. Fritz immediately prepared for action. Ernest drew near his mother. Jack rushed forward with his gun over his shoulder, and I cautiously advanced, commanding them to be discreet and cool. But Jack, with his usual impetuosity, leaped among the high grass to the dogs, and immediately returned clapping his hands and crying out, "'Be quick, papa! A huge porcupine with quills as long as my arm!' When I got up, I really found a porcupine, whom the dogs were warmly attacking. It made a frightful noise, erecting its quills so boldly that the wounded animals howled with pain after every attempt to seize it. As we were looking at them, Jack drew a pistol from his belt, and discharged it directly into the head of the porcupine, which fell dead. Jack was very proud of his feet, and Fritz, not a little jealous, suggested that such a little boy should not be trusted with pistols, as he might have shot one of the dogs, or even one of us. I forbade any envy or jealousy among the brothers, and declared that all did well who acted for the public good. Mama was now summoned to see the curious animal her son's valour had destroyed. Her first thought was to dress the wounds made by the quills which had stuck in the noses of the dogs during their attack. In the meantime, I corrected my son's notions on the power of this animal to lance its starts when in danger. Nature has given it a sufficient protection in its defensive and offensive armour. As Jack earnestly desired to carry his booty with him, I carefully embedded the body in soft grass to preserve the quills, then packed it in strong cloth, and placed it on the ass behind Francis. At last we arrived at the end of our journey, and certainly the size of the trees surpassed anything I could have imagined. Jack was certain they were gigantic walnut trees, for my own part. I believe them to be a species of fig-tree, probably the Antilles fig. But all thanks were given to the kind mother who had sought out such a pleasant home for us. At all events we could find a convenient shelter among the roots. And if we should ever succeed in perching on the branches, I told her we should be safe from all wild beasts. I would defy even the bears of our native mountains to climb these immense trunks, totally destitute of branches. We released our animals from their loads, tying their forelegs together, that they might not stray, except the cow, who, as usual, did her own way. The fowls and pigeons we released, and left to their own discretion. We then sat down on the grass, to consider where we should establish ourselves. I wished to mount the tree that very night. Suddenly we heard, to our no slight alarm, the report of a gun. But the next moment the voice of Fritz reassured us. He had stolen out unnoticed, and shot a beautiful tiger-cat, which he displayed in great triumph. "'Well done, noble hunter,' said I. "'You deserve the thanks of the fowls and pigeons. They would most probably have all fallen to sacrifice to-night, if you had not slain their deadly foe. Pray wage war with all his kind.' 
or we shall not have a chicken left for the pot. Ernest then examined the animal with his customary attention, and declared that the proper name was the Margay, a fact Fritz did not dispute, only requesting that Jack might not meddle with the skin, as he wished to preserve it for a belt. I recommended them to skin it immediately, and give the flesh to the dogs. Jack, at the same time, determined to skin his porcupine to make dog collars. Part of its flesh went into the soup kettle, and the rest was salted for the next day. We then sought for some flat stones in the bed of the charming little river that ran at a little distance from us, and set about constructing a cooking-place. Francis collected dry wood for the fire, and while my wife was occupied in preparing our supper, I amused myself by making some packing-needles for her rude work from the quills of the porcupine. I held a large nail in the fire till it was red-hot. Then, holding the head in wet linen, I pierced the quills, and made several needles, of various sizes, to the great contentment of our indefatigable workwoman. Still occupied with the idea of our castle in the air, I thought of making a ladder of ropes, but this would be useless if we did not succeed in getting a cord over the lower branches to draw it up. Neither my sons nor myself could throw a stone, to which I had fastened a cord, over these branches, which were thirty feet above us. It was necessary to think of some other expedient. In the meantime, dinner was ready. The porcupine made excellent soup, and the flesh was well tasted, though rather hard. My wife could not make up her mind to taste it, but contented herself with a slice of ham and some cheese. End of chapter.